the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, on behalf Demo of Detroit, the hey, we want to present these buffs to our governor, hey. Big Gretch. Throw those buffs on her face, because that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about the stress. We got Big Gretch. Woo. You can find her in the press under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Throw the buffs on her face, cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about the stress. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Come on. Big Gretch and this bitch playing no roles. At Excuse all. all the cussing, that's just how I get my flow on. For real. If you want to leave the state, you can stay gone. But right now, Big Gretch says stay home. All that protesting was irrelevant. irrelevant. Big Gretch ain't trying to hear y'all or the president. How we gonna take orders from a non-resident? Talking about it safe, but he ain't coming with the evidence. Uh-oh. Big Gretch got him shook now. When it's all over, you invited to the cookout. When it's all over, you deserve to get took out. Big Gretch with the bucks on, on the lookout. Uh. And she doing it for Michigan, so when she hit the stand, everybody should be listening. She on that pair of bucks with the ice in them glistening. On behalf of the whole Detroit mission. Throw the buffs on her face, cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about the stress. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Throw the buffs on her face, cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about the stress. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Big Gretch. TomSumnerProgram.com Hey, welcome back everybody as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. I had uh, scheduled a serial entrepreneur um, who knows what it's like to weather the ups and downs of the business world as a woman, Ginger Sloan. And she has some thoughts about women entrepreneurs being the driving force of every stable economy globally. I was really looking forward to talking with Ginger. And for some reason, we haven't connected this morning. That happens. Welcome to live radio. But recently, I um, I did look through the archive to find uh, a um, interview I did a while back with um, an incredible uh, educator and author who grew up 
in the area around Chernobyl. And I thought with the, the talk about Chernobyl, since it's been back in the news because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, I thought it might be interesting to pull out that interview. And since we uh, ended up with some time here this morning, I think uh, I think we'll do that. The um, And I don't have my notes, so I can't tell you all the details it'll it'll be in the introduction for uh, my guest Serhi Plohi um, like I say he's uh, uh, a, a very esteemed uh, professor and, and educator but also very knowledgeable from a first-hand uh, experience and he wrote uh, he wrote the book on Chernobyl after the big meltdown um, a few years ago so we're going to hear we'll hear that interview this hour and then coming up in the the third half of our three-hour tour we will uh, move on as planned to uh, Cassidy Puckett talking about redefining geek <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is uh, Professor of Ukrainian History at uh, Harvard University. He is an award-winning author of numerous books, including his newest, uh, Chernobyl, The History of a Nuclear Catastrophe, which has already been described as destined to be the authoritative account for years to come about the uh, uh, nuclear catastrophe known as Chernobyl. His name is Serhi Plohi, and uh, he joins me now by phone. Serhi, am I, am I saying your name okay? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, perfect. And uh, thanks, thanks for inviting me. Um, let me, just to, to put things in uh, context and historical perspective a little bit, just, just to get started, how does the Chernobyl uh, disaster compare to the one earlier here in the U.S. Uh, at Three Mile Island and then later at uh, Fukushima? Well, you, you just uh, listed three uh, major major nuclear catastrophes in, 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 in the world. And uh, again, chronologically, uh, the uh, Three Mile Island was the first one. It took place in the late 1970s, and then there was Chernobyl and Fukushima. In terms of the uh, impact, harmful impact on the environment, uh, Chernobyl is uh, at the very top. Fukushima comes second, and then Three Mile Island uh, third. And just to give you some idea of how bad was Chernobyl and to a degree continues to be, the amount of radiation that was released uh, as a result of the explosion is 50 million Kuris, and that's uh, equivalent to 500 Hiroshima-type bombs. So, And it took only 5% of the fuel in the reactor to escape uh, the confinement. So... That's that's the proportions of Chernobyl. Now you were actually there when it happened. Yes, I I, I lived with my family approximately 300 350 miles um, down the river, the river Dnieper, from Chernobyl, 
and um, uh, certainly uh, again we we learned uh, about what happened with delay like everybody in the soviet union the soviet government was hiding information learned uh, from uh, voice of america from western broadcasters bbc and so on and so forth and that affected our lives in in, in major way I, I had small children at that time we had to lock them in the apartment for the entire duration of the summer some of my friends were drafted in, in into the army and sent sent to chernobyl uh, so it was a, a major major experience in in my personal life and in life of people whom i i knew and 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 certainly was uh, was uh, part of, of of their life and their experience then you said um Dozens of people were killed uh, outright, but then there was what we—I guess—what we would have to describe as fallout from the event: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. radiation in the in the ground and and waterways and and in the air, um, and and you say that thousands of people were impacted by that through health right. problems, et cetera. Um, why, how much less would it have been if the Russian government had been more forthcoming with warnings? Well, um, <clears throat> there were two people who were killed uh, immediately, almost immediately, as a result of the explosion. And then 29 people died uh, as a result of uh, exposure to radiation um, uh, over the period of the next few weeks. The, the, the rest is basically something that is still debated by the, by the scientists. So, and the estimates in terms of the life shortened by radiation are anywhere between 6,000 and 90,000. And uh, we really, we really don't know today. What we know for sure is that there was a major, quite dramatic spike in the number of thyroid cancers among mm-hmm. children, anywhere between four to six thousand uh, extra additional cases. And we know that for sure. The rest, it's it's really very difficult to estimate. And um, what we know mostly about uh, radiation is the impact of radiation. Huge doses of radiation over a short period of time, like it happened at Hiroshima or Nagasaki. In Chernobyl, it's a different story. It's a smaller um, dosages of radiation acting over a long period of time because, as you said, the the uh, uh, soil was contaminated, the, the water was contaminated. Those um, um, elements, radioactive elements, stay in the area for for um, decades and centuries. Uh, the estimates that are that the exclusive zone around Chernobyl nuclear power plant, 30 kilometer or 20 mile approximately exclusive zone, will be not safe for normal functioning for another maybe two three hundred years. And plutonium-239, one of the elements released by the explosion, admittedly in very minuscule doses, but its half-life is 24,000 years, so half-life. 
and and the the the, the traces would disappear in in 50,000 years from now so um and uh, it, it will not be just sitting on the on on the ground it will certainly will be affecting um, life uh, uh, it will be affecting the the uh, animal world, the uh, um, uh, certainly the the uh, f uh, flora and, and fauna, and uh, uh, we still we still don't know what what the impact would be. With regard to the to the Soviets withholding information and whether that would make a difference or not. Well, one thing is that even the people who died in the first weeks after the explosion, among them were firefighters, they had no clue what they were dealing with. They were not trained to deal with the radiation um, uh, and uh, the, the exposure to the radiation. The doctors in the local hospital were not trained to deal with the patients like that as well. And um, it took uh, uh, 36 hours to make a decision on evacuation of 50,000 people from the city of Pripyat, which was only a few miles away from the uh, from the uh, reactor. Um, and again, the the um, exact impact of of that staying additional 12 hours, 18 hours in the zone. It's difficult to estimate for the reasons that I explained, but there is no question that, that, that there was impact and that the impact was not uh, was not beneficial for their health. When the uh, nuclear power plant at Three Mile Island had its accident um, in, in the United States, the growth of the nuclear power industry virtually ground to a halt. And even some plants that were under construction, construction stopped, and plans for plants uh, were set aside. What was the reaction by the Soviets in the wake of, of Chernobyl? Did it have an impact on their nuclear power program? Mm -hmm. Well, it had. It, it had enormous impact. More about the book Chernobyl, The History of a Nuclear Catastrophe from Harvard professor Serhii Plohi is straight ahead. Sumner, 
the Tom Sumner Program.com. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom What are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? 
Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More about the book Chernobyl, The History of a Nuclear Catastrophe from Harvard Professor Serhii Plohi is straight ahead. If you or your listeners would Google the, the um, Wikipedia articles on the development of nuclear uh, industry, and there is a number of them, there is an interesting graph and it points that 85, 86, that's where Chernobyl took place. That's the absolute peak in terms of the development of nuclear industry when it comes to the starting of the new reactors. And, and the nuclear industry was never able to actually come back or, or recover after Chernobyl. Of course, Fukushima was, was, another, was another major blow, and Three Mile Island was, was the early one. But Three Isle Island, again, the, the, the impact was mostly in the United States. It didn't affect the Soviet Union. The explanation was, okay, these things can happen only in the capitalist world. We are, <laughs> um, we are immune to those. And once that happened, what you see two years after Chernobyl, the, the first mass mobilization in the Soviet Union, uh, the first rallies that were there, were around Chernobyl, the threat of nuclear power, and the refusal of the government to hide information from its own people. And one of the arguments that I make in the, in the book is that the, the Chernobyl in many ways uh, contributed to the disintegration of the Soviet Union uh, when it comes to key Soviet republics. Uh, one, Lithuania, it declared, was the first to declare independence, and then Ukraine, after Ukrainian referendum for independence, the Soviet Union fell apart. In both those republics, the first wave of mobilization against the, the communist regime happened around the issues of uh, nuclear power, Chernobyl, and, and, and uh, uh, transparency. Of, of the government about what the impact was, how dangerous or not dangerous it was uh, to, to, to people. So, um, um, again, one can just look at the number of the nuclear power plants that were closed at that time, including in Ukraine. A number of, of um, reactors were under construction and were never completed. Still, even today, 50% of electricity in Ukraine is being produced from uh, by uh, nuclear power plants, as opposed to, let's say, um, uh, close to 20% in this country. But if there would be no Chernobyl, probably Ukraine would be somewhere where France is today. 75% of electricity is produced by nuclear. Is, is France just better at handling uh, nuclear power than everyone else who's tried it? Well, they, they, they are better in a sense that um, uh, certainly they, they, they operate uh, those nuclear power plants without major accidents, and uh, certainly from the very beginning they, they were super, super careful, super cautious, and they, they acquired a lot of expertise today. Uh, for example, the um, uh, multi-billion project of the construction of the new shelter over the damaged uh, Chernobyl reactor, 
uh, is is uh, basically done by the French. At least the the, the French firm Novarca is is the the main the main contractor. Um, so French uh, French are good, and the the interesting thing generally, which um, certainly is there when when I discuss uh, Chernobyl, the 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 ownership of the nuclear power is of course national and it's it's sov- it's sovereign right of every country to develop or not to develop uh, nuclear energy but when something goes wrong the problem is not national <laughs> the problem immediately becomes international and um, uh, we we have in Europe today Germany decided to go nuclear free as apparently Japan after Fukushima but next door, there is France, where 75% of uh, energy is produced by nuclear. So the, the question is, yes, the, this decisions are made on the nation-by-nation base, but if, God forbid, something goes wrong, it's an international problem. And that's, that's where I think if international community ends up owning the problem, as it happened with Chernobyl, probably from the very beginning, the international community has a much more to, to, to say in uh, where the, the, those nuclear power plants are being constructed, who is doing that, what the safety procedures are, and so on. Well, I'm glad you brought up the uh, impact that you assert in the book of uh, Chernobyl on the fall of the Soviet Union, because so many fans of then-President Ronald Reagan like to attribute him as... <laughs> being single-handedly responsible for bringing down the Soviet right, Union. Right. And and it, it really was an internal collapse. It was. It, it was. And uh, um, in that sense, uh, I don't know, probably it will be surprising to, to, to your listeners. It certainly comes as a surprise to most people to whom I talk in the United States. This country was against the dissolution of the Soviet Union all the way into the fall of 1991, uh, making everything diplomatically possible to keep Gorbachev going and the Soviet Union uh, alive, well and alive. And again, the reason was, of course, not any kind of a particular sympathy toward communist ideology or, or the Soviet regime, but the concern was the nuclear weapons. <laughs> the, the, of course, the fall of the Soviet Union was not just the fall of the uh, of any country; it was the fall of the nuclear superpower. And the the, the question of who owns nuclear weapons, uh, who uh, the the issues of uh, proliferation or non-proliferation were really key things. And in that sense, nuclear weapons really changed the way how how the wars were fought in the world. Um, the, we had the Cold War and not the Hot War, partially because of the of the sphere of nuclear weapons on, on the both sides. And then the victory in the uh, or so-called victory in the Cold War was nothing like victory in any other conventional war, because uh, because the, the 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 adversary is still armed with, with nuclear weapons. So it's um, the, the the process was the, or the disintegration of the Soviet Union was really driven by eternal reasons. It never was the American goal in the Cold War to to see the Soviet Union falling apart, and indeed uh, the U.S. was trying 
first to keep it together and then once it became clear that it, it is still falling apart to assure that there would be a soft landing in particular for the for the nuclear armed republics and those were Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan and Belarus. You you also assert in the book uh, that uh, the Ukraine or Ukrainian people um, became much more environmentally uh, friendly, uh, more concerned about the environment in the wake of this. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, there is a very interesting story in general of, of how nations, of how people relate themselves to, to nuclear energy. So when the Chernobyl nuclear power plant was built, the first reactor was launched. Uh, it was in 1977. Uh, it was welcomed as basically a rival of uh, modernity and civilization, and, and, and Ukraine joining the, the um, nuclear club, acquiring, acquiring a cutting-edge technology. So it was all viewed very positively. And then once Chernobyl happened, it was a complete reverse. So the very same people who, who celebrated the arrival of the nuclear power now turned against it. But then there was another U-turn, and another U-turn was in the mid-1990s, in the middle of this deepest possible depression and recession that followed the collapse of the Soviet Union, where the survival of the state, the survival of people, depended really on, on, on uh, uh, energy. And the very same parliament, who in the late Soviet years, after Chernobyl, decided to shut down nuclear reactors in Ukraine, and, and the idea was for Ukraine to go nuclear-free, by mid-1990s actually re reversed its own decisions. And again, as I said, Ukraine today, 50% of electricity is still produced by nuclear. It has the, the biggest, the, the largest nuclear power plant in entire Europe, six reactors going on. So all of that happened in the mid-1990s in, in, in the face of this looming uh, economic collapse. So, uh, uh, and all of that happened within a very short period of time, maybe 15, 20 years. It's the life of the same generation, but this dramatic reverse of how you relate to, to nuclear energy and what is, what is at the given point is the most important for you. The, I, I've talked to some people who, who suggest that nuclear energy, if it were handled a little differently, um, in terms of of the you know fission versus fusion etc um, but but also talking about other types of fuel that might not be as uh, difficult to store or or get rid of or consume completely that that we've just gone down the wrong road with nuclear energy and and that nuclear power could be done safely after the the work that you've done and as much as you've looked into this do you think nuclear energy is just too difficult to manage well um i i i think it is and um, uh, we, we try to learn our lessons each time there is something terrible happens like three mile island or chernobyl or fukushima but then nuclear energy keeps us surprising with basically a different set of circumstances under which still it escapes 
from uh, under our control. And again, uh, major, major improvements are being made. For example, the reactor that was used at Chernobyl, they are not in use anymore. They were not, not safe enough. The, the um, technology is being improved. Uh, but uh, at the end, it is it, it is a very dangerous, very dangerous uh, source of energy. And my main concern now today is that, uh, as of today, the nuclear energy is really in in, in decline. Uh, it's uh, um, the uh, it's more expensive now to run an average nuclear uh, plant in the United States compared to getting to get in renewable sources of energy. So it's it's easier to get, cheaper to get renewable, uh, the energy produced from renewable sources, sun and, and, and wind and so on, than nuclear. And of course, sun and wind doesn't come with that kind of, of uh, uh, potentially terrible price. Uh, the uh, nuclear uh, companies are filing for bankruptcy in the last two years, one after another. And this is, uh, from my point of view, a very dangerous situation where if they're underfunded, um, they're still running this very dangerous type of, of, of uh, uh, reactors and, and plants. And the, the, uh, if there is not enough funding for oil industry, again, the consequences are not potentially as terrible as it is with nuclear. So that's, that's where my main concern now is not in, in it expanding because it's not really happening, at least in the, in the United States or in Western Europe but in uh, managing what already is being built and this aging fleet of, of uh, reactors at the time when the nuclear production is, uh, 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 the, the, the production of the nuclear energy is commercially not attractive at all. What about the relationship between the politicians, the, the agency heads, elected officials, and, and uh, appointed officials in the government versus the leaders in science and, and technology. Are they able to communicate and, and work together on these kinds of issues, or uh, are, are you seeing over in the Ukraine and uh, and in parts of uh, Eastern Europe and the for former Soviet Union, the same kinds of reluctance to believe scientists as we see in the United States currently? Well, uh, I think that uh, nuclear energy is, is, is in a little bit different category uh, as opposed to, let's say, climate change or uh, because uh, we had Hiroshima, we had Nagasaki, we had Chernobyl, we, we had uh, Fukushima. We know what it, 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 it can bring. So it's not the issue of I, I believe in that and you believe in something else. That's, that's, that, that's an established fact. Uh, um, so the, the, uh, the, the, the belief that it's, 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 it's something that has to be looked at um, very carefully is there, but on the other hand, it's uh, the the question of of, of uh, the, the nuclear energy is business, the question of profit, the question of saving money, of cutting corners. 
it's 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 still there, and it's certainly there in 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 uh, the countries where now the center of the uh, nuclear uh, production moved. It, it's moving out of the what used to be first world. Uh, it's moving to the places like China. Again, Chinese is becoming much more careful now after Fukushima. But in the last two three years, that's where the most of the reactors were started. The construction started, or they were put online. And the latest news that came in February was the uh, this announcement that 40 new reactors are projected to be built in the next 20 years, maybe in the Middle East, the most volatile part of the of the of the world. And uh, again, that's that's kind of a lifeline for American and some other. Um, uh, companies, because again, the, the internal market doesn't uh, d- d- doesn't provide the kind of uh, returns that uh, one would wish for. So they, they go abroad. But what does it mean building reactors in Egypt? There are two reactors under construction now. What does it mean the building reactors for reactors under construction in the United Arab Emirates? And the latest news were whether. The, the local guerrilla fighters were firing their rockets toward that nuclear plant or not. So that's the kind of discussion that we have today. So um, my, my, my impression overall is that the, the, the danger associated with nuclear industry moved also with this, the, the mo- where the most of activity now is or is being projected in terms of the construction of uh, and new nuclear um, uh, reactors. And again, the reactors are becoming better. They are becoming safer. The industry certainly is learning. But again, looking at where it is being brought, Iran is, is, is in the news again. Uh, not so much for the, for the nuclear energy program per se, but that this is a backdoor to the uh, acquiring of the nuclear arms. Well, the same is true for most of the countries in the Middle East. They really, this is an oil-rich area, so they could do quite well without nuclear power, especially given that it's becoming more and more expensive. But this is the way to get to get to the nuclear weapons. And on the top of that, uh, the the uh, um, reactor in Iran is also built in the area which is say, uh, where the earthquakes take place one after another and that's that's another that's another danger so my my feeling is that the the center of the development of nuclear power but also the threats are moving outside of us and western europe to to places like middle east and and you talk about uh the united states and and a zeal for deregulation or deregulation that goes on politically here um as as being uh, uh very dangerous for the continuance of of nuclear energy programs well uh, certainly it is it is and the the Regulation and oversight are extremely important. Again, I don't know details about what is happening in that area today in, in, in the United States, but I can tell you what I learned certainly from, from uh, researching a uh, book on Chernobyl. And what was there was that it was the state that 
uh, owned that built the 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 plant that uh, was running the plant and that was overseeing itself which was an extremely dangerous uh, situation what that meant was that there was really lack on oversight if you if you police yourself it it's it's it's, it's a bad thing so uh, if there are any any particular one single industry that needs oversight again and again this is this is nuclear industry and again I, I i don't know exactly what is going on but if there is any movement in terms of kind of a loosening that kind of of control i would be really worried you know i feel like uh Sergei, because you were there in the ukraine when this happened that in a way you've been working on this book for 32 years well, it's 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 interesting <laughs> that you are saying that, but I I, I think I, I I think you are right because uh, I sometimes uh, people ask me when when you decide to write that book, and I, I look <laughs> desperately for a particular for a particular moment for a particular time. Again, the, the, my visit to Chernobyl was was kind of the last push to do that. But in reality, yes, deep down, I was I, I was getting ready to do that for a long period of time. I, I was certainly interested to to figure out what what happened, how it happened, what was hidden from us, uh, and uh, that that book fulfills that purpose as well. As we get close to the the end of our time, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this, and this is an important. Oh, well, you're most welcome. Chernobyl: The History of a Nuclear Catastrophe by Serhi Plohi from Harvard University. Uh, but but Serhi, I'm I'm curious. At the end of the day, is there somebody that you can point the finger to? Was it regulators was it human error was it design flaw or or was it a combination of those things that allowed this to happen yeah it was a combination and the the two main the the two main factors were the uh, problems with the reactor itself so and uh, the the uh, designers knew that there were there was a problem there but uh, it wasn't in, in, in their interest pointing to that. The, the fixing that or, or, or replacing it with different type of reactor would cost too much, would cost them their careers or, or, or their bonuses or something like that. So uh, that means that the problems were there and the oversight was not there. And the second, the second factor was what the, um, what the uh, operators uh, really uh, did with the reactor where they were shutting down uh, temporarily the uh, pumps that were providing water to cool the reactor all for they believed for a short period of time to conduct the test and all of that was in violation of the of, of, of the safety uh, um, uh, regulations and, and and instructions more about the book Chernobyl, The History of a Nuclear Catastrophe from Harvard Professor Serhi Plohi is straight ahead. Radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program.com. 
Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage? Basketball or soccer? So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. You're not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. 
But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney Generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash ag. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about the book Chernobyl, The History of a Nuclear Catastrophe from Harvard Professor Serhii Plohi is straight ahead. They did that because they believed in that there was this myth of the safety of nuclear uh, industry, of the safety of the reactor, which was, by the way, quite different from what, what, uh, what the atmosphere from the very beginning was in, in this country. And that that was related also to the general kind of uneasiness and fear of the atomic bomb that started certainly in the United States in the late 40s and early 50s, this duck and cover commercials and so on and so forth, uh, that, that didn't exist in the Soviet Union in the 1950s and 1960s. Um, so, so the, they looked looked at at the nuclear power as a much more benevolent kind of a force, and then there was this absolutely ridiculous belief: okay, these things can happen in the capitalist world. We are we are immune from that. So, <laughs> two, two, two key things came together. So, this this absolute disregard for safety procedures, because okay. We can do that. It doesn't matter. We can take all these risks and cut corners. And then the, the complicity of the industry that produced produced really not safe reactor. But the main thing was it was cheap, and it was twice as powerful as another type of reactors also produced by the Soviet Union and exported to the countries of Eastern Europe. So they were exporting safer reactor to Eastern Europe and keeping more dangerous reactors to themselves, but also believing that, well, it's, 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 it's really okay, it's really fine. How has the follow-up been for the people whose health have, have been, has been affected by this event uh, in terms of health care uh, mitigation of uh, the effects of exposure and, and uh, the, the cases of thyroid cancer that you talked about? Um, are, are the people that have been affected getting the help they need? Well, um, the, the overall today, yes, they are, and uh, um, that that uh, to a degree was the case after uh, immediately after the explosion as well. But in between, there was the this period of 1990s when everything was collapsing. Really, the the kind of um, economic downturn that the, the post-Soviet states went through dwarfed really the, the uh, depression in this country of the 1920s and 1930s. So it was much, much more significant than that. And under those circumstances, of course, there was no, there was no uh, adequate help. But what that led to also was that in countries like Ukraine, there was a special category of citizens who were considered to be affected by the radiation and, in that sense, entitled to all sorts of government help and government 
uh, assistance, uh, not, not, not just medical, but also some, some pensions and so on and so forth. And, and that category just ballooned because that was the way for people to survive in this very difficult economic conditions. So we have a very strange picture where on one hand there is not adequate help, but on the other hand, the category of people who ask for that help is really much bigger than, than at least today, uh, medical professionals assess that really belong to that category. Um, there, there was also a huge, huge psychological um, uh, impact on, on, on the people in that area. Um, you get you get sick, you get cancer or something like that. If if that happens in this country, okay, then, well that that happens. If it happens somewhere in the radius of one thousand miles around Chernobyl, the, the immediate idea, okay, the, this is the, the the impact, this is the effect of Chernobyl, and people believe that they are affected, whether they were affected or not by that, and uh, the the sociological. Um, studies that are done say that in Ukraine, on, on average, people kind of feel more sick and, and than, than in other areas. Again, uh, I, I don't think that this is a physical impact of Chernobyl, but this is certainly a psychological one. Serhi, what are you working on next? Well, it's uh, thanks thanks for asking this question. It's it's a really fascinating story about the U.S. airman behind Stalin's lines in the Second World War. There were three um, air bases, American air bases, in 44 and 45 in today's Ukraine, on the other side of the Soviet uh, um, uh, lines. They were there for to assure the, the, the possibility of this shuttle bombing where the uh, American airplanes were taken off from the airfields in Italy and Britain were bombing their targets in, in uh, Eastern and Central Europe and then were landing in Ukraine, refueling, getting new bombs and, and then going back to, to, to bomb Germany. And um, uh, I got access to more than 20 volumes of the uh, uh, what used to be a predecessor to KGB, the, the um, uh, Soviet military counterintelligence or surveillance of the uh, Americans at those bases, the kind of contacts that they had with the locals, the, the dates that were taking place there, and then they were following those poor women who dated Americans all the way into the 1960s. So it's a, so it's a fascinating story about about allies at war where they're, they're fighting together against Germany, but there are these major ideological and cultural differences between the two. So that is that is my next project, and again, it, it it became possible partially, like book on Chernobyl, by this recent opening of the KGB archives in Ukraine. Well, that sounds absolutely fascinating, Serhi. Do you have a uh, a website where people can uh, find out more about you and about your other books and other things that that you have coming up? Well, I don't have a website, but uh, now that you asked, maybe I should I should create one, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I certainly have have a page with my works on the Amazon uh, on Amazon.com. If you just Google, uh, or not Google, but just uh, go on Amazon and, and look up for uh, my name P L O K H Y, 
it's 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 a difficult name to remember but on the other hand if you remember there is no other person with <laughs> a <laughs> name like mine so it's it's easy and uh, certainly look at Chernobyl and then follow to the author's page and that's that's where my 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 work my uh, English language books are available. Well, I am so glad that you were able to spend some time with us today. Serhi, it's been a pleasure and an honor. Well, thanks, thanks again for having me. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. Serhi uh, Plohi is uh, professor of Ukrainian history and director of the Ukrainian Research Institute at Harvard University. He has a number of uh, award-winning books, but his new book we've been talking about today, Chernobyl, The History of a Nuclear Catastrophe. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner. I remember the night Mom was pounding on her drums. She called me to her side. She said, son, you're growing up. Pretty soon you're gonna drive. And Daddy heard the commotion and came, came in tap dancing, playing his six-string. And they both looked at me and they said, "Son, before you get behind the wheel of a car, you listen to me. If you're texting while you steer, don't drive. If you've been drinking beer, don't drive. If you're talking on the phone, don't drive. If your tires are bald and it's starting to snow, don't drive. If your foot can't reach the pedal." And no apparel. Don't try. If you took an illegal prescription. Don't try. And no one understands your diction. Don't try. Don't speed, don't read, don't breathe, don't tweet, don't shave, don't rave, don't wave, don't eat. And don't put no makeup on or shave. You know you're not supposed to do that. If you gotta do something you're not supposed to do, you can go ahead and step on my blue suede shoes. Uh, go ahead and scuff them up. If you're driving with your knees, don't drive. If while you roll, you eat, don't drive. If you don't know how to drive, don't drive. If you've been psychedelicized, don't drive. If you're kissing on your boo, don't drive. If your boo's kissing on you, don't drive. If you've been drinking at a bar, don't drive. If there's guns in the car. Or rummage through your purse. Ugh. Don't do that. Huh. If you won't do something you're not supposed to do, you can go ahead and talk on my food man chew. Go ahead, I don't care. Watch me tear. If you feel like a nap, don't try. If there's a pooch on your lap, oh, it's dangerous and creepy. If you're feeling really wired. Your license is expired. Don't you drive uh, around the town. You gotta do something you're not supposed to do. You can go ahead and step on my bluesway shoes, scuff them up. Then go ahead and pull on my Fu Man shoe. You wanna do something that's good If you're feeling like any of that stuff, don't try!
alive! Make sure you got a clear head! Ow! The Tom Summer Program.com From the Tom Summer Show Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 